your name on the card that you were handed when you walked in the door. Uh, that Connect card really is the first step in getting connected to New Stanton Church, and we'd love to invite you to a meet and greet and explore what your next steps might be. Uh, just put that card in the offering basket. This morning, we are on week three of a four-week series, and it's titled Your Move, and it was created by Andy Stanley. Uh, Andy Stanley is probably one of the best, if not the best, communicators of our day in the church, uh, but along with the sermon series and the preaching, I've encouraged everyone to be involved in a small group, and I've, I pray that time in those connect groups has been a blessing to you and your family. Uh, if you're not in a small group yet, uh, you still will have other possibilities, other chances as the weeks go by. This series is all about decision-making. Uh, I don't know about you, but there are some days that, that I don't even want to make a decision. You know, I just want to sit and veg and have everybody leave me alone. Uh, I don't, I don't want to make any decisions at all. Just chill. Uh, but life is all about making decisions, and sometimes those decisions need made like relentlessly so. It, life is all about making decisions. Some of those decisions we'll look back on later in life and we'll think, I am so grateful that God worked that out, that I am on this path. And other decisions, well, not so much. You know, we look back and we think, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have opened my mouth. I wish I, wish I wouldn't have said that. Um, that, was, that was probably the wrong thing to do. Um, we've looked at two questions so far because what, what if we could train ourselves to ask some questions that would minimize needing to regret the choices that we have made. We've, we've looked at two of them. The first week, we looked at the question, am I being completely honest with myself? Like, why am I choosing this option really? And asking that question is important because we are experts at selling ourselves on what we really think we want. Uh, whether it's the best decision or not, we can always build our case, uh, a case in our minds and justify what we want, even if it's not what's best for us. Guys, we know this is true. You know, the, the old golf clubs, the old guitar, the, the old tool, you know, it just, it just doesn't really allow me to reach my potential. But if I had the new one, wow, things would change. Ladies, you, you know that's true. You sell yourselves on things because, hey, it's on sale. Uh, I am not going to find another deal like this again. Uh, my old one is wearing out, and obviously, God wants me to buy this one. Because look, it's 50% off. Could it, could it be any more clear that this is God's will for my life? We do this with things, but we, we also justify unhealthy relationships, poor job decisions, bad habits. Sure, I'll have another piece of cheesecake. But you've already had two. What's your point? Sure, I'll have another piece of cheesecake. Getting, getting at why we are really making these choices and decisions helps us overcome our heart's own deceitfulness. Those, those lies lose their power if we speak the truth. Oftentimes, if we do it out loud. The second week, last week, we looked at the question, what story do I want to tell. This is a huge question because we all get to write the script for our story and the story that we will tell someday. The, 
decisions we make, the paths we choose become part of our story, slowing the process down, that that decision-making process, and asking the question, what story do I really want to tell someday else? During this series, we've looked at different Bible stories and lessons, and let those stories and illustrations from the past speak into our lives today. And I, I, I hope and pray that one of the the takeaways from this series is that, that this book is not an outdated piece of history. That, that this, this word of God is, is a word that speaks to us today. That, that if you read this book, it will help you make decisions in life. And it will keep us on the, that straight and narrow that I think all of us long to be on. We're going to look at another uh, Bible story this morning from 1 Samuel. Uh, you can turn there in your Bible if you want to. But um, the question that we're going to look at this morning is this. Is there tension that I need to pay attention to in this decision? In the decision that I'm making, in the choices that are before me, is there tension anywhere in those decisions? When when we're wrestling with a decision, oftentimes there's that, that t- tension inside of us around one of the options. If you're not a Christian, you might say, well, your, your conscience is speaking to you, or that, that's a red flag, and you should, you should pay attention to that. It, if you are familiar, if you are a Christian, you might say, well, the Holy Spirit put a check in my spirit about one of those options, and you need to pay attention. Whatever, that, whatever you call that experience, you need to pay attention to those checks in your spirit. As a pastor, I get emails and people coming in to talk all the time because they're they're weighing options about what they should do. You know, there's there's a host of things before them. We're like, Pastor Steve, you know, I just need to talk this out. And oftentimes, literally, people just need to say it out loud, and the the way becomes clear to them. And honestly, if if somebody's laying options out, and they're not walking into something that's like clearly wrong. I don't know what to say anyway. <laughs> you know, I'm just there. I'm just there to listen. If if you can can look at the options before you, and neither one of them is wrong, neither one of them is a story you wouldn't mind telling. Then, like, I've I've got nothing unless unless there is tension around one of those options. Then you need to be really honest. There might not be anything illegal or, or, or sinful about either one of those options, but if there is tension around one of those options, you need to look at that seriously. There is probably a reason that you're feeling that tension in your spirit. And then oftentimes in life, we miss that altogether, don't we? I have had so many of those moments where... <laughs> Where I look back and I say, why didn't I see that? You know, why, why didn't I see that? I knew, I should have known that there would be tension in this after the fact. And we don't get it until somebody says, well, didn't you say that you would take Jared, like, fishing this weekend? And you, are, you made other plans? It's like, oh, man. Or somebody comes up to you and says, well, I thought, I thought you said you, you, like, were better for worse than your wife. There's that check in our spirit after we've already started to go down a certain path. Whether it's a a subtle check or one of those punch-in-the-gut moments, we need to pay attention.
attention to the tension around our decisions. Because honestly, there are times when we try to ignore that still, small voice. When it's something that our heart really wants, when, it, when it's the way we want to go, we try to minimize that tension instead of looking at it. We tell ourselves it's no big deal. Um, I'm worth it. Nobody thinks like that anymore anyway. Just old people think like that. Hey, I, I'm not hurting anyone. No one needs to know about this anyway. We will tell ourselves all kinds of things to pursue an option we want. When, when you sense that tension in your spirit, dwell on the reason for that a little bit. Let, let that run around in your head and in your spirit. Focus on it and really weigh the options for your life. The heart, as we looked at the first week, is deceitful, and it will deceive us. Sometimes the biggest lies are the ones we tell ourselves. I think what I want could also cause some tension sometimes. I think sometimes the things that, that you want could cause some tension sometimes. If we our hearts are desiring pleasure, profit, position, power in any of those, it should cause us to say, you know what, let me slow this down. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But our hearts can cloud decisions around those topics really, really easily. The Bible story that we're going to look at um, this morning is from, like I said, 1 Samuel, and it's a, about King David, but it's actually about King David before David became king. Uh, prior to David, there was a, a king on the throne, and his name was Saul. And Saul, if you remember, was Israel's first king. They had never had a king before. But it wasn't long after Saul took the throne that he disobeyed a direct command of God. And the consequence of that was God sent the prophet Samuel to tell Paul that he was going to remove Saul's family from the throne. He, the honor of having a descendant on the throne was going to stop with Saul. None, none of his sons would sit on the throne. And after Samuel comes to Saul and tells him that, Samuel actually goes and anoints David as the next king of Israel. He's just a boy. Saul doesn't know that David's going to become king, and David doesn't get to take the throne right away. Saul remains on the throne. And later, David gets recruited to play music for Saul. Like, they're in close proximity together. So there, there are times when the present king and the future king are in the same room together. David knows he's going to be king, but Saul does not. Awkward. Uh, the spirit of the Lord is on David. He, he kills Goliath. He, he becomes one of Saul's top generals. And before long, Saul becomes jealous of David's fame. We're not quite sure at this point if Saul realizes that David will one, be, one day be that king that Samuel told him about, but we do know that, that Saul is very, very jealous of David. 
and he tries to kill him on, a num- on numerous occasions. And Saul's intent on killing David because of his jealousy uh, causes David to flee, and he, David becomes sort of like an, an outlaw. But David is just this natural leader, and he draws a, a small group of men around him that know his fighting power, know and, and appreciate that God's spirit upon him, but they go into hiding from Saul. Saul goes on the hunt and goes to look for and hunt David down out of his jealousy. He learns that David is in this general area, and he goes to seek him and hunt him down. And that's the, that's the backdrop for our story this morning. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 24. If you want to flip a few pages in your Bible, you can follow along. We're going to start with verses 1 through 3 from chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. I have no clue where that is, but in that that day they would have known exactly what they were talking about. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, I know some of your parents out there are thinking, Pastor Steve, really? Um, (laughs) You're going to quote that on Sunday morning. It's in the Bible. I don't know what to tell you. Um, But you get the picture. You know, Saul's on the march, and and he's got to go. If you have traveled with kids, you you know what this is like. Um, In fact, you prayed for a cave so that you wouldn't have to shield little Johnny with the door. Um, But King Saul has to go, so 3,000 troops have to wait while Saul goes in and uses the restroom in a cave. But the the plot thickens here. Let's look at verse 3. David and his men were far back in the hills. So it appears that that David knew Saul was coming or saw him coming, and they pick one of the caves and they hide way back in the cave, and they decide they're going to just hide out Wait till Saul and his 3,000 men pass by, and then they're going to get out of Dodge because they are way, way outnumbered. But this is odd, but it may be an opportune twist of events. David is now faced with a decision he never thought he would have to make. Does he let Saul come and go? Pun intended. Or does he kill Saul where he stands? Now, to David's small group of warriors who are in this cave hiding in the dark, this, this, this is, is God delivering Saul into David's hands. This is, this is perfect. He's the king. And God has said that one day you will be king. And here he comes all by himself. No. He won't be able to see when he enters the cave. You, you come out, you know what this is like. You come from the, the bright sunshine into a dark place, and you can't see at all. But David can see because he's been hiding in the cave, and his eyes are already adjusted. David's men are like, this is your chance. Kill Saul now. Let's look at 1 Samuel 24, 4. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you. I don't know, David must have said this at some point to these men, but here it is. 
I will give you, quote from God, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. When events in life start to look like God is speaking, let me say that again. When events in life start to look like God is speaking, we need to pay attention to any tension. Christians love it when events start to speak like God is speaking. And God speaks through events, but we need to pay attention to the tension. God might be speaking. Saul is walking into a cave, or Saul might have had too much coffee that morning, which is it? God might be speaking through the events that you're seeing in your life, or there could be some other explanation. Pay attention to the tension. If we want position, power, profit, pleasure, red flag, pay attention to the tension. I have talked with brothers and sisters who are convinced that God is speaking them to them through all kinds of events. I have had men and women come and look me straight in the eye and say, I think God wants me to leave my husband or leave my wife or write off a son or a daughter or move in with a boyfriend or girlfriend. I have had a man come and sit in my office that was convinced that he was to encourage his wife to have an affair because he had. He was there in my office because he was wondering if he should pay attention to the tension that he was feeling. He wasn't sure because something just didn't quite feel right. You think? I said, do you think maybe you're encouraging your wife to have an affair because you're trying to appease your own guilt? You see, hearts are really, really deceitful. And they will lead us down paths that we will later regret. David's men are like, take him now. Here he is. He's in the dark. He's defenseless. I'm going to stop there. Um, Let's look at verse 4. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Odd. But David is paying attention to the tension. At what point did David decide to cut off a corner of his robe? instead of slit Saul's throat, right? But at some point, he reconsidered. Maybe maybe he thought, you know what, something's wrong. Something just doesn't quite feel right. If God appointed him as king, and God said he is going to remove him from king as king, maybe, maybe God gets to decide what time that happens and not me. This might not work out the way I think it does. I I might not get to be king after this. I think I will, but I'm not sure. I don't know what this makes me, but it does make me the person that killed God's king. David really doesn't know how this situation is going to turn out. And the truth is, none of us do. When we are being tempted to pursue position or power or profit or people, we often think we know how the events will turn out, but we don't. The man that I mentioned that was going to encourage his wife to have an affair against all my pleading, praying, encouraged his wife to have an affair, and she did. And their marriage absolutely blew up, and their kids were a mess. Our hearts are deceitful. They will lead us in paths that we 
greater regret if we don't pay attention to prevention. I want to pick back up with 1 Samuel 24, 5 through 6. Afterwards, David's, David's conscience was stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. I imagine David is trembling at this point because I think he's realizing just how close he came to making a really, really, really bad decision. You know those moments when you have like a near-death experience, you know, your car is spinning out of control, it comes to a shop, a stop, and you're just, your adrenaline is just shaking like crazy. I think David is thinking, I almost just killed King Saul. That would not have been the decision God approved of. He even regrets cutting a corner of Saul's robe. Because even that could be construed as an, an act of aggression towards the Lord's anointed. It's, it's just not David's place to remove King Saul. His men think he's absolutely crazy. Why wouldn't you do this? It's on sale. It's right before you. Bury your old school traditional thinking. He's out here hunting us down. Kill the fool. David says, no, I'm not, not going there. And he urges his man in verse 7. With these, with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. You get the impression that even though David didn't, they still wanted to. You know, we don't think the tension you're experiencing right now is worth listening to. We're going to kill the guy for you. And Saul left the cave. I want, to, I want to read the next section of Scripture. It's a longer section of Scripture, but it's powerful. So I want to just read the whole thing, starting with verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with a face to the ground. So David is putting himself in a submissive, non-fighting position. He's laying on the ground. If Saul wants to kill him now, he can He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some, his guys, some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lay my hand on the Lord, on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe and in my hand. I imagine Saul going, what? I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. and May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? Meaning, I'm I'm laying on the ground, I'm defenseless, I'm not going to harm you. A flea? May the Lord judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold me. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. 
when David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice? David, my son, and he wept aloud. This, this is a punch in the gut for Saul. He wasn't listening to the tension in his decisions. He's hunting David down. And I'm sure God was trying to get Saul's attention. This is not what you want to do. But Saul chose the other path, not a story that you want to tell. But he's pursuing it because he's not paying attention to the tension. He wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for what you treated me, for the way you treated me today. Here it is. I know that you will surely be king. If he didn't know before, he knows now. You will, sh- you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel be, will be established. With, with Saul, it wasn't established. It was on rocky ground. He was disobeying. It will be established. It will be firm. It will be secure in your hand. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home. But David and his men went to the stronghold. David could have used Saul's actions to justify killing Saul, but he he didn't. Instead, David trusted God with his destiny. He didn't pursue power or position or profit by doing wrong. He paid attention to the tension in his spirit, and God blessed him. I think all of us face decisions like that. In life, it's so easy to claim justification for the wrong, to to do revenge. He started it. Do you hear your kids? He he started it. She started it. She hit me first. I can't tell you the amount of times I have. But but adults do that too. There's nothing technically wrong with what I'm doing. There's there's nothing about my actions that, that, that are sinful. Leaders do it. I did not have sex with that woman. We do wrong and lie because we think we can control the outcomes. That is simply not the truth. The truth will always come out. What's true is that if you trust God with your destiny, you will land on your feet. Not just your final destiny, not just your eternal resting place, but in this life. If you trust God, you will come out on top. You're daily coming and going. It is so important that we listen to the tension in our decisions. You don't want to make the wrong decision and later regret it. You won't like the place you find yourself if you don't listen to that check in your spirit. David trusted God with his destiny. Let's pray. God, I know that you have plans for us, a path for us to take. You have a purpose for us. And God, you can redeem all of our wrong decisions and the mistakes that we have made. And you can you offer your forgiveness and grace. And God, we, we just hold on to that uh, right now. Because all of us have done things that, Man, we should have listened to that tension, but but we didn't. But with that forgiveness and with that grace, God, we now want to walk 
righteous path. We, we want our lives to be different. We want to, in the choices we make, we want to pay attention to that tension. We got it. Look, whatever choices that we are making this day that are facing us in the future, pray that we would be in touch with your spirit, that you would speak clearly, and that we would humble ourselves, God, 